0: My name is Julie Tai, and I am the Director of Chapel at Fuller Theological Seminary. Welcome to Fuller Studios' audio stream of sermons drawn from campus chapels and preachers throughout our extended community.
1: Words from Luke chapter 15, 11 through 32. Then Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. A few days later, the younger son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country. And there he squandered his property in dissolute living. When he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating. But no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare? And here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven And before you, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of your hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. While he was still far off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran to him and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one, and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and get the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his elder son was in the fields and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. He called one of the slaves and asked, what's going on? And he replied, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he got him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, but he answered his father, listen, for all these years, I've been working like a slave for you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you have never given me even a young goat so I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes? You killed the fattened calf for him. Then the father said to him, son, you are always with me. and All that is mine is yours. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come back to life. He was lost and has been found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: Kristen, thank you for um, reading the parable. It was very touching. And I think especially reading about the younger son and also about the father's love. And that's often what we focus on in the parable. Today, during my sharing, I'll be focusing on the older son instead. There's many aspects of me that relates to the older son. This is me growing up, the one in the middle, and you can tell which is my dad and which is my younger son, Uh, my younger brother, (laughs) Ted, who was eight years old, uh, younger than me. Of course, you can tell I'm nervous. And also he was like a son to me because we were eight years apart. My relationship between me and my brother has a lot of similarities with the parable. At home, I was an obedient older son. At school, I was a model student. And also, I attended church faithfully and served in different groups and ministries. In contrast, Ted was the taller, good-looking, free-spirited son. And in my perspective, he was a rebellious kid. That caused us a lot of tension trouble, stress, and worries, and especially in a society like Taiwan, which is a collectivistic society. To illustrate, around age 14, 15, Ted started smoking, drinking, underage, driving his motorcycle, scooter, or or scooters that he got from his friends, hung out in inappropriate places. There were nights that we would get calls from the police saying that Ted's there, arrested, and um, to pick him up. I also remember mornings when my mom would wake up hysterical, realizing that Ted wasn't home. He ran away again. So that was sort of what it was like growing up. And I was aware of our difference. I was also aware of my jealousy towards Ted, that he got to live a life that fulfilled his desires. And in contrast for me, I felt a strong pressure to be a good Christian son. This is a photo that was taken when he was around 16. I was in the army at that time. And this is one of the photos that we looked happy together. I really loved him, but we had a lot of tense moments. And that was his scooter. And I was in the army at that time. I, of course, didn't have many days off. I went back to the army, in our army base. And one morning I got a call from my father. He said, Ted left. I thought, oh, he ran away from home again. But then I realized that my father continued and said he left us for good. Ted passed away when he was 16. It caused extreme grief and loss for me as a brother. But I also have to admit that there was a sense of relief. I didn't have to worry about him being arrested or put in prison or whatever happened. And at that time, being in the army, had a lot of time to reflect. And because reflecting on his death, it awakened me to realize that life is fragile. I could die any time. It wasn't granted that I would live to 60, 70 years and that was one of the reasons that I decided to pursue my career in psychology, changing from management science. also I was an industrial engineering at the beginning, and to focus on something I felt was meaningful, but was probably not the safest route or the most popular route. So he did have a positive impact on my life, even though I didn't really experience that moment of what I had imagined, the prodigal son, the prodigal brother, coming back. Okay, so that's me, but let's go back to the parable. The prodigal son's brother, or also another prodigal son, but the elder brother. So this elder brother was characterized as someone doing the right things. Obedient, dutiful, law-abiding, and hard-working. I'm going to reread some of the verses that focuses on the older son. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. So at this moment, the resentment that was built of the older son (laughs) came brewing and finally he couldn't hold it anymore. He was, he exploded extremely angry. And so the older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with them. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours has wandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son," the father said, "You're always with me, and everything I have is yours, but we have to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Yeah, so based on the parable, there's a few characteristics of this older brother: resentment, jealousy, focusing on works rather than grace. And there was a perfectionistic need to be obedient, which made it hard for him to feel at home in his father's house. The fattened calf clouded his vision. He was not aware of the inheritance, that everything the father owned was also his. Henry Nouwen describes the lostness of the older son is much harder to identify. He did the right things, obedient, dutiful, law-abiding, and hardworking, However, this resentful saint is harder to classify, whether he's a villain or a good person, and due to his desire to be good and virtuous, he also posed the question, does lust or resentment do more harm? This reminded me of the Pharisees that we often read in the Bible, which is like a population we kind of like, oh, they're not redeemable we talk about the prostitutes we talk about the tax collector a lot more but we kind of neglect the Pharisees so i'm going to use more of a psychological conceptualization to look at this older brother so here this is an iceberg depicting the older brother so on the surface level he is obedient and he's slaving to be obedient following his father's rules. But underneath that, there's a few mechanisms happening. One is perfectionism. This is probably not only personal perfectionism, but a perceived perfectionism from God, not from his father. Like his father is a perfectionistic father that has high standards and could be very critical of him. And what's driving the perfectionism is probably the psychological concept of contingent self worth. So, this is when we base our self worth or when we feel that our love and acceptance or approval by someone else is dependent on something that we do. And for the older brother, probably what he felt was that he had to be the perfect child, which is being obedient and hardworking for him to receive love from the father. And underneath that, or what triggered all the emotions, is probably social comparison, um, a psychological concept of us comparing ourselves with others. And at this point, what he was comparing was whether he got triggered was the unfairness, because what he saw was an intangible reward of the fattened calf that was given or used to celebrate the younger brother but he never got anything like that. So that's like us, social comparisons, looking at our salary, our titles, and things like that. So we talked about his concept, the older brother, is seeing God as this perfectionistic God. And the idea of being a perfect son is to be obedient and hardworking. I wonder among us, if I ask this question, what does it mean to be perfect in God's eyes? How would you answer this question? I'll give you a few seconds, and many of you have a lot more theological background than me. Probably you've thought about this a lot of times. So just make a mental note of what you think being a perfect follower of Christ is like. Okay, so I'm going to show a research study that we did. This was with 421 Latter-day Saints. So I collaborated with my colleague, Kavika Allen, who was at BYU. So in our research on religious perfectionism, we put in an open-ended question. We asked them the same question, what does it mean to be perfect in God's eyes? And then took all their open-ended responses, coded them, and came up with nine themes. So these nine themes are embedded in the different responses, the 400 or so responses. Some indicated being Christ-like, God-like. Some said it's impossible to be perfect. It's through atonement. There are people that said it was trying one's best, focusing on others, being selfless, loving, caring towards other people. Some said being perfect is about virtues, dispositions. Others noted that it's being obedient, not sinning, similar to the older son. And there are people who said that indicated that it was more so about a pure intention, and the motivation thoughts underneath. And spiritual practices was mentioned, as well as repentance and continuous improvement. So this is a quick glance as a stats person. I'm going to present a little bit of stats, and that's all. Um, That we can see that trying one's best was endorsed by over half of these um, Latter-day Saints. And about 50% of them endorsed being obedient, not sinning, And 40% indicated that being a perfect follower of Christ was related to repentance and improvement. I wonder if your thoughts could be categorized there or is something beyond, but just something to keep in your mind. So that's a little bit of the researcher in me. I'm going to take off that hat and put on my clinician hat. And this is an image of my office where I see my clients. So the parable about the prodigal son with the focus on the older son, it ends there. We don't know what happened afterwards. Did he reconcile with his brother, with his father? Did he leave and go on his journey and explore the world outside of his father's home? We don't know. But I think at least for me or some of you who can identify with the older son, our lives move on, doesn't end there. So I wonder, or I started to reflect on, if this older son came to me for therapy, how would I work with him? So I'll share some thoughts, how I would use therapy to address his resentment, identity crisis, and also the relational tension. So first, I'll give space for him to process or just let all the emotions out. So catharsis is kind of the psychological parallel to the biblical lament, which for those in theology, understand more. So allowing that safe space to let all the emotions out. And after the emotions are let out and they're calmer, we would probably work on more of the cognitive aspects to explore what are the roots that triggered all these emotions So, for example, we would get a better understanding of how he understood the father and how he thought the father wanted him to be the perfect, obedient son, and how it was unfair by seeing how the younger brother, who was totally opposite and got rewarded way more than he had based on his perspective. So, dealing with some of the cognitive aspects to help him understand the root of his resentment and the root of the emotional outburst. We would also maybe spend some more time talking about all the stress and pressure and weight that he carried throughout his life. It's a long journey. And at that moment, he probably felt that I wasted 20, 30 years pursuing something that I misunderstood. I would also wanna provide maybe some psychological education to help Him understand that his reactions can be explained by certain psychological concepts, by social comparison, by contingent self worth, so that he doesn't feel so shameful and feel like he's crazy. I want to commend him for expressing his anger that was held in and bottled up for so many years. Finally, he's able to truly face. His feelings and emotions, rather than trying to be the obedient, perfect son and holding that back. And it would also be important to address his relationship with his father and the younger brother. And so going through a relational reconciliation process. So these are some four steps around forgiveness that actually one of my clients came up with. He was dealing with his own struggles with how to address his emotions of others wronging him. And through our work together, he came up with first three and then four, and then we thought, and I thought, it was a good framework for me when I applied it in various settings. So with this client, with this prodigal son, the older brother, it would be important just to be mindful of the emotions. And it doesn't mean forgiving, is you have to have positive affections right now. You can be mindful of the anger, the resentment, still the residual jealousies. It's also important after accepting, allowing the emotions to be, to have some perspective taking, having some understanding of what the father's perspective was. It's not ridiculous for a father to love his son, even though it was a prodigal son. It also understands His brother, younger brother's perspective, I bet he felt resentful. He had that desire to go explore the world and just enjoy and fulfill his own desires. And then it would also be helpful for him to have a growth mindset for the other person. Sometimes when we hold on to resentment, it's feeling like that other person is fixed, This is who they are, they're never gonna change. But allowing room to imagine they could change, they could grow and develop, that could also help with letting go of feeling wronged and anger. In this case, seeing that his brother had the capacity to grow and change and to come back, that's probably worth celebrating. And finally, having an opportunity to respectfully communicate his feelings, his needs. So probably his father will know how to better communicate his love for the older son or communicate what he expects and what he really cares about in this relationship. Okay, so I'll go back to my brother. This is one of my favorite pictures of us. You can probably tell I'm the older one, kind of wearing like something... Joseph wore a <laughs> colorful outfit. So a few years after Ted passed away, I started my master's degree at Wheaton College. And during that point, I was became more aware of my psychological reactions. And also, I noticed that I keep dreaming about Ted in my dreams. But when he came out in my dreams, he was the little, little cute, innocent, naive boy. He was never the adolescent at the later stage of his life. It was frustrating, and I wonder why. And also at that time, I was frustrated at my mom. Not only me, my sister was too, because she always told others, described Ted as a cute, pure angel that God gifted her for 16 years to relate to and to bring up. I felt that it wasn't fair Ted was not an angel. (laughs) He was rebellious, and you were hysterical and so stressed when he was still on earth. And I didn't know how to deal with that. And I brought it up in group therapy one time. I said, I'm really frustrated at my mom for seeing Ted this way. And my therapist had a very simple response. She said, of course, she's his mom, That hit me. A mom's love is different from an older brother's perspective. While I focused on the right and wrongs that he did, he was her beloved son. And ever since, Ted no longer came out as a little brother in my dreams. That was one of the powerful moments of me in benefiting from therapy. Yeah, as I close, I want to highlight a few points. It's important in terms of reflecting on the prodigal son, it was important to reflect on how we see what a perfect child or a follower of Christ is like for us. But even when I was doing that exercise myself, I felt convicted. I think I have a perfect answer here in my head. But actually, I don't live that out there's discrepancy between knowledge and how I truly feel. For example, I know I'm God's beloved son, but many times when I feel insecure, feel I need to do more, it reminds me of I don't live that way. And so gave me that realization that knowledge is part of this relationship with God or how we live. But more important is to be aware of our emotions and also our behaviors. And these behaviors could be related to various things. And I notice me, like the older son, sometimes I'm distracted by the daily things, the demands or things I need to perfect that I neglect, the internal things or the relational aspects with God. And this is something I hope to reflect on during this Lent season you have been listening to a production of fuller studio fuller studio provides articles podcasts videos and other resources for a deeply formed spiritual life Subscribe on your favorite podcast app or visit us at fuller.edu/studio.